0: Welcome to Three
1: Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
2: And we're on, and welcome to another episode of Three Yards Per Carry. I have my friend here, Simon, and I hey. do not have Chris, because Where he's he? studying something, uh, something or the other. I, yeah.
1: Do you know, I heard a, I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true, and I'll have to confirm it next week, but... I heard there were two tickets for Huey Lewis and the News that you just couldn't miss out <laughs> <laughs> on.
2: Oddly enough, oddly enough, he said that whatever he's studying for, which seems to be pretty important to miss a podcast, is causing him to not use two tickets for Daryl Hall and John Oates this Friday. Unbelievable.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, I was first... joking about Huey Lewis and the News, but... <laughs>
2: Well, first of all, I know for a fact that one of them is alive because one of them has a TV show on on Travel Channel, I believe. Right. But John Oates is also alive. Now that's. <sighs> that's... I mean,
1: I wouldn't know him if I fell over in the street.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we, we do yeah. have a treat for our listeners in the special sec- guest time. Yes, on the second half of the show, we will have a special guest host. You know him better as the guy you clamored for to be the starting quarterback because he was a backup quarterback. A good one, by the way. Sage right. At this Fills.
1: point, oh, you killed it. At this point, we could have dragged out the, <laughs> the tension, the excitement. We, who was it that the, 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 we were calling for? Doug Peterson, <laughs> Matt Moore.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Corey Bell.
2: Yeah, but he will be with us in the second half, and we will talk about the national perception. He does some some work for Lockdown with with the Vikings. We could get into you know quarterback movement this off season. Obviously, we could ask him about Kirk Cousins. I'm a big fan. Are you a big fan of Kirk Cousins?
3: Um,
1: to a great or a lesser degree, I am. He, I don't think he's an upper echelon NFL quarterback, and but I think he's probably an upgrade in Minnesota. I mean, you know, as well as Case Keenum played last year. I think Denver probably paid a lot of money for a guy who's probably going to fall off the face of the earth next season. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, and I like Case. And he seems a really nice guy, and the, the all or nothing that Amazon did with the Cardinals last year, he came across as a really, really good guy. And you kind of pull for guys like that, but realistically, I don't think he's got the same season in him again. Um, so, you know, his cousin's the guy to take the Vikings to the promised land. Potentially, potentially he's good enough to do that. And you know, they get they get. Um, Dalvin back and that defense is you know is fantastic. So
2: and they have underrated you know. skill players if you look at yeah, them across the board.
1: And it's not just Stefan Diggs as well. There's, you know Adam Thielen is a superb player, and yes. you know they've got talent there. They've got absolutely got talent there.
2: And everybody forgets Dalvin Cook was leading the league in rushing when he yeah. got yeah. hurt last year. Well, that's because he's a stud. Yes, that's a guy that we both liked, and we expect him to be better than than Leonard Fournette going forward because Leonard Fournette showed some warts last year. Uh, yeah, you know all those complaints, they'll... all those complaints I... that people had about him, you know, finding injuries. Uh, mm. They started surfacing last year.
1: I think they'll miss Jarek McKinnon, who's yeah. gone to the Forty Niners. Um, yeah, just he's a that nice kind player. of change of pace player. But no, they've got a good team and a really good coaching staff, and you know. Xavier Rhodes, one of the top sort of three corners in the NFL defensively, Eric Kendricks, one of the kind of most underrated players in the league in terms of middle linebacker and Barr is still there and Harrison Smith is still the stud and you know there's some talent there, some real talent there. So, you know, you wouldn't you know, you could see Kirk Cousins winning a Super Bowl, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Well, Simon, you had a pretty exciting day the other day. Well caught, mate. Yeah. Where were you when Harry Kane put in that header in stoppage time? To so beat I'm the, mighty tunisia the
1: the number one
2: rated african team you mean yes yes yes
1: uh, i was in a pub called the old ivy in london in uh, barbican in london and it was one of those uh, it's weird it's you know the world cup is amazing it's been a really good world cup so far I've enjoyed you kind it. of you kind of get to the point where it's like come on it's got to be our turn it's got to, you know you want to play you want you play you see everybody else It's like christmas for 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 the other countries, they're wrapping, unwrapping their presence and yours, yours are still sat under the tree. And then finally last night, you know, you kind of wake up yesterday morning it was, you know, it was match day and, there's a, you know, people are excited and, there's, you know, you're on the Tube in, in London and people are, you know, they've got England shirts on, everybody's excited and nobody can really concentrate. And you walk around the office and people are like, you know, I'm getting so excited and I can't wait. And then straight to the pub and all that tension, really busy pub. England started brilliantly, first half an hour go the goal up, then concede the penalty. And then things start to change in the second half because, you know, we couldn't break through and people have had a bit more alcohol and they start to get a little bit more frustrated. <laughs> and, you know, the kind of the, what you guys would call the Monday morning quarterbacks that, yeah. you know, everybody's, they got an opinion in the pub and they've had a few more drinks. and They're a bit more kind of, and all of a sudden everything that goes wrong is exacerbated a million times by the kind of the, you know, the backseat commentator, as you, you know, as it would be or the backseat manager. Um, and then all of a sudden, 91st minute, first minute of injury time and Kane pops up with the winner and the whole place goes absolutely, I mean, absolutely mental, jumping up and down and drinks going everywhere. And it was quite a moment. So, yeah, it's been a good, been a good World Cup generally and an excellent start for England. So let's see if we can keep it up.
2: Yeah, I thought I wouldn't enjoy it because the U.S. men's national team was so bad in qualifying, yeah. but I've enjoyed it. I thought, I, it's been great, great fun. And, what about you?
1: What's your been your kind of? What's uh, you're uh, the biggest anti-Costa Rica fan going? So what was that experience <laughs> like? Well,
2: what was interesting to me is that I'm a big U.S. men's national team fan. Okay, so I wanted to see them qualify. I wanted to see them play. So Christian imagine where, Yeah, imagine where I am. I'm betting Germany to win it all and Mexico, U- the that, U.S.'s how's biggest that bet rival. Now? Mm. Beats Germany And they actually played really, really well They Although did, yeah, sec- deserved it That second half, you know, Germany It was a miracle Germany didn't put in 15 goals Because <laughs> they were just peppering Ochoa But, and then of course You had Landon Donovan wear a Mexico jersey So, you know Yeah,
1: that didn't get out very well either, did it?
2: No, it did not Everybody's pretty, pretty upset with that Okay, he, he's taking his grudge Against Jurgen Klinsmann a little bit too far They already fired Isn't the it? guy You don't have to continue, you know what I mean? But, but anyway, Saturday, you know, I'm invited to, to my brother-in-law's house. He's from Costa Rica because the game was going to be at eight o'clock in the morning and I tend to drink Mm. a lot in the weekend. So, (laughs) so even at eight
1: o'clock in the morning.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be in any condition to wake up and then drive over there. So what I'll do is I'll just sleep over at their house. You know, we'll bet some horses and then watch Errol Spence defend his title and then, I, you know, I could go to go to bed a little bit early and wake up. So I wake up like around 7.30 at, to the sounds of, I don't know what the hell that was, but evidently it was the Costa Rican national team song.
1: The anthem, you read?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and we sit down to watch that that game. And to be honest with you, I've seen Costa Rica play a lot because I saw them against the U.S. in qualifying. And they're a spectacular defensive team. And they have a nice player in Brian Ruiz. And Kaylor Navas, mm-hmm. you know him well. Yeah, the
1: Ravager goalkeeper,
2: yeah. Yeah, he, he's pretty good. But, my God, they can't score. They can't score in a whorehouse with a fistful of hundreds. <laughs> okay, they, they are an abysmal offensive team. And that game was just, it, it was horrendous. its It, it could have been the worst World Cup game so far. And I've seen pretty much all of them. So, maybe the Belgium game because it was such a, you know, overmatched, but. It was yeah. a pretty terrible game, and just like that, Costa Rica is pretty much on the way out.
1: How did you enjoy the
2: Spain three, Portugal
1: three?
2: That was a lot of fun, except for wasn't it? Yeah, except for Ronaldo, you know, doing Ronaldo things. You know, but I kind of like, like it. In, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of like it in World Cup time when, you know, the very best players don't play all that great. Oh, you I do not. No, I don't. I, I like to see. Okay. I like to see the team effort come through. I like to see. I like to see the. You know, I don't mind seeing a team full of stars, but I like to see them play together. I don't like to see one guy dominate another. another if the Dolphins,
1: if the Dolphins were a country, how far would they get in the World Cup?
2: They wouldn't qualify.
1: <laughs> come on, that's terrible.
2: <laughs> well, it depends. They've been in the group of death for the last fifteen years. Like okay? that's
1: very true. <laughs> Okay, that's so very true.
2: and they've qualified what twice, so they're your chances, you know.
1: So we're essentially saying that they're kind of they're like Poland,
2: <laughs> yes,
1: invaded by New England.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty that, much.
1: That was a bad Hitler joke. For,
2: yeah, it was. for those it of you was.
1: not paying attention. It, yeah,
2: it was kind of inappropriate. Yes.
1: Well, you know, but then
2: yeah, that's that's my mo. <laughs>
1: Frankly, frankly. Well, anyway, we're going
2: we're to hear from a sponsor. And when we come back, we will break down some of the biggest stories. And I'm talking about these are big stories happening in the Dolphins offseason. But first, these
3: words, a word from one of our new sponsors. That sponsor is Miss dash Inc.com. That's Miss dash Inc.com they are social media problem solvers. They do social media marketing and content writing. We are using them right now. They've been in business for 10 years and they believe in a personal, customized approach to marketing. So they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like Facebook or Twitter. It takes a smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. has been leveraging social media for Miami businesses since 2008. They don't believe in cookie cutter strategies or in boxing your business in with others in your industry. Here's how you check them out. Go to miss-inc.com or call 305-537-6465. Welcome back to
1: Three Yards Per Carry, episode, or could be episode 13. 14. Uh, we in the, 14. We're in the darkest days of the off-season. Me, Simon Clancy, and Alfredo Arteaga this week. There is no Chris Kaufman. He is off at a Tina Turner concert or something, and Bobby McFerrin, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he's no. Chris is studied hard for an exam. Uh, I don't know if it's an exam in music uh, or kind of terrible 80s pop bands, but um, <laughs> if it was, he'd absolutely ace that test. Um but anyway, we are here and we will be joined in the second half by a very special guest host. Not just a guest, but a guest host, former quarterback of the Miami Dolphins and other teams. Mr. Sage Rosenfelds will be joining us. We'll be taking over from Chris. Um, I wonder what his taste in 80s pop bands is. Um, probably not as bad as Chris's. But let's get, you know, we've done World Cup. We've ripped the, the piss out of Chris for a few minutes. Let's actually talk about some dolphins news, even though we're in the darkest of dark days of summer. But Mike Jasicki has signed his contract. He's the final dolphin now to have inked a deal. Deals, contracts like this aren't, you know, they're not really what they used to be because everybody just slots in, you know, adds on one percent or whatever it is to the mm. slot that was picked last year. But still, you know, everybody's under contract. And, that. and I think I think Gisicchi signed his um, signed his deal. And there was a there was a, a picture on Instagram of him doing it in a sort of a beachfront. Sort of restaurant slash bar, mm. and uh, underneath there was a uh, there was a kind of very it was quite a funny message from juan James to say you know God look at you you know you've been in the NFL like a couple of weeks and already <laughs> you're living up to your nickname of Dolphin Superstar or whatever <laughs> and there was a number of kind of Dolphin players that you know, Xavier Howard whatever he liked the comment and then um and Justic he was like come on dude there was nothing I could do about it I was a, like a rookie event and you know you had a number of players kind of chipping in sort of going yeah yeah whatever you were kind of trying to live the high life and whatever just so it was good to see that kind of atmosphere that you know the rookies kind of having some fun with the vets and vice versa but it's good to get them under contract and you know looks like you know the boys will be going away and getting ready for for a, what should be a really interesting training camp but a number of kind of positions that are open and you can see a number of rookies potentially making waves in camp and, and you know, even winning starting jobs, don't you think?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, and Gusecki is – he, he kind of puts this offense over the top, you know. If Tunsell – like we talked about last week, if Tunsell is fine and he's not bad, then you got to think that he's the guy, Mike Gusecki being, that he's the guy that's going to put this offense over the top, make it better than any offense that Ryan Tannehill has had here. Because he hasn't gonna... had – He hasn't had that athlete at tight end,
1: And he's going to do it in part because of his freaky athletic skills, isn't he? I mean, you know, this is the guy that ripped up the combine, you know, with his athletic ability. And speaking of which, did you see which former NFL receiver was... Sort of throwing his name out there in terms of potentially... Yeah, you know, he's talked about it a little bit in terms of like getting back out on the field. He must be about 62 years old, <laughs> but this particular player ran a 40. It was timed by, amongst others, Julio Jones. Julio was on the uh, was on the 40-yard line with a stopwatch in his hand. Did, did you see who it was?
2: Yes, it was none other than Terrell Owens, a guy who Ter- has most recently also made news for refusing to well, he's not refusing to be inducted, but he's refusing to attend the ceremony for the I think Hall he'll of re- Fame this summer. I think
1: he'll regret that in time. Actually, I think you know yes. when he's you know when he's got grandchildren, he's a bit older. I wonder whether or not he will look back on that and think sometimes you just gotta I don't know sometimes you just gotta let bygones be bygones and yeah you know.
2: and, and you got to think about you know what is he really really upset about? Uh, is he upset that he wasn't a first battle Hall of Famer? Well, no. I think what he's really upset about. Is, because I don't think how anybody, I don't, you know, like, who do you have to be to be upset that you didn't go in on the first ballot? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: But what he's obviously upset about is that, come on, that second ballot was devoid of any really great skill talent. And they still passed him over on the second ballot. So Do you think
1: he could still play in the NFL these days? I mean, I, don't, I genuinely don't know how many. Was he 42, maybe? 44?
2: 44. He is
1: 44. I mean, he looks... Ridiculous in terms of, yeah, and I mean that in a good way. No, that is a good ridiculous, rather than a ridiculous ridiculous.
2: Well, Does he's he can still. He's infamous. Catch passes? Yeah, he's infamous for. Uh, he used to work out a lot with Chad Johnson, and he stopped working out with Chad Johnson because Chad Johnson liked to evidently eat a lot of bad food. Oh really? Yeah, and Terrell Owens has always been a guy who really, really cared about his body, ate the best food, worked out constantly. <laughs> So can he play now at forty-four years old? Well, yeah, why not?
1: You know, uh, I, have to, I have good good listeners. I have two other combined stories for you. The first is I don't know if you saw uh, Snoop Snoop Dogg's uh, Twitter feed today because he's doing uh, football uh, as in your football uh, training. So he's kind of got the doing the tiptoes to the ladders and <laughs> making cut. He has got the spindly, spindliest legs. I've ever seen in my life. It's watching. It's like watching a small. It's like watching Forrest Gump when he had calipers, trying to trying to do testing at Indianapolis at uh, the combine. It is astonishing to try and watch Snoop turn and run, catch passes. He is so uncoordinated. He's like a he's like a baby deer on ice on roller skates. It is astonishing to watch, and that's astonishing in a bad way. Yeah, and but- the second.
2: He has an Court. excuse, though. He, you know, he's he was probably high off of his gourd when he, when he was probably. doing. Probably.
1: If... Interestingly, his son, during, his son was a hugely recruited high school wide receiver. Yes, he was. He went to, he went to UCLA. I think his name was Cordell Broadus.
2: Yes, he um, quit. Then he quit uh, and what really, he?
1: Uh, he, quit, he quit. twice actually. Yeah. But now he's. Um. I saw an article with him in GQ. He's become quite a big sort of fashion entrepreneur and lives in Paris now. And um, very interesting life he's led, but. You know, he's—I mean, essentially turned his back on potentially on an NFL career because he, you know, he was like you say, big, fast, uh, was a dominant high school player on the West Coast, and uh, you know, turned down USC.
2: He actually played in Las Vegas.
1: He did, yeah, and turned down um, turned down Snoop's USC for UCLA, which I think caused a few family issues. But maybe some people that—that's just not for them. And um, there you go. But the second combine story. I digress with the, with the Snoop Dogg story, but the second combine story and the far bigger combine story is the is exciting news of the three yards per carry combine, which was floated on our WhatsApp <laughs> group earlier on. Um, and these were the responses I got. One, from a person who shall remain unknown, do you want to see me in the hospital? <laughs> and number two, from person who shall remain unknown, I would need three years to trade for this. I mean, what is wrong with you two boys? This is an outrage.
2: Old and washed up is what's wrong with us. Come on. how Chris is young. How old are you? Me? Yeah. Do you want to know? Do, do you want uh, to guess?
1: I, I, I'm, I must be older than you, surely.
2: I am Tyrell Owen's age. So am I. Oh, I'm 44.
1: I'm 44 too. When was your birthday? November 19th. Oh, you're older than me then. I'm January. Oh, okay. How old's Chris, do you reckon? Chris is what,
2: 38, 36? Well, his taste in music suggests he's 74. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but I know, I'm pretty certain he's younger than both of us.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty certain he is as well. I'm pretty certain he is. Um, so for him to say that it had taken three years to get ready for the combine is an absolute <laughs> outrage. It's an absolute omni shambles.
2: Yeah, those, I mean, those type of questions pe- about about athletics uh, always make me sad because I mean, about what, two years ago, I almost tore my Achilles, did get plantar fasciitis, needed four months of, of therapy just to walk correctly, and then could barely run six months later. And you know how I did that? Go on. I was drunk on a beach playing volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I feel shamed by the pair of you. What What do you think? What do you think your forty time would be if you could run one? Do you think you could beat Rich Eisen?
2: No, Rich Eisen. Really? Well, he ran what a six one. Yeah. Oh, I'll beat that. I'll beat that because okay. you know, but I need training. <laughs> you know, I need about <laughs> give me two weeks and I'll get in the fives. Okay.
1: You know? What do you like, think, what, Chris did, What did
2: Orlando Brown run? What Orlando? Five
1: Brown... seventy six or something.
2: Really, he ran he ran that bad. I thought it was like a five I think five? so. Yeah. No,
1: I think it was slower than
2: that. Okay, I could beat. I think I could beat that. I'll beat that. Sim. I'll beat that pretty easily. You know? What do you I mean, think Chris nice would little, run? If you know, let me let me toot my own horn here, but I I, I was offered a scholarship to play football in well Division two, but it was a scholarship. Nice. Okay, and in those days, at 187 pounds, I ran a 4'7 flat. What position did you play? Fullback. And then I was okay. moved I was moved to Monster, which is strong safety, basically. Yeah. I
1: have got the official number on Orlando Brown's combine. Okay. Go on, guess. What did you
2: say? Five five. Five five.
1: Okay. It was a five eight five.
2: Oh, I'll beat that. I'll beat that <laughs> today.
1: Yes. I could beat that on a space hopper.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll go outside barefoot and I'll run it on the sidewalk and I'll beat that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What do you yeah. think Chris had run?
2: Ooh, Chris Kaufman? No,
1: Ooh. Chris Hemsworth. of course Chris Corsman
2: <laughs> well he says he needs three years to train for that right
1: I mean if he needs three years to train for it, is he? It, do, does he think he's going to be as fast as Lavernius Coles in three years or does he think he's going to be as fast as Orlando Brown in three years and if so <laughs> if, if it's the latter he must run about a 9 second 40 right now
2: <laughs> yeah
1: I don't know uh Cough, Do you think Chris would beat Rich, Rich Eisen?
2: Man, you got to think he can. The only thing that, that that keeps me on Rich Eisen's side is that he, he does it in a suit. If he wore basketball shorts and a t-shirt and proper running shoes, you don't think he beats Orlando Brown? Oh, of course he does. Okay. Well, that makes him professional athlete.
1: I'll I, I tell you what I'd like to see, then. I'd like to see Chris versus Rich Eisen versus orlando brown yes we need to be able to make this happen actually we need to be able to get chris to record a 40 and then we can overlay the three videos of brown versus eisen versus kaufman to see who wins yes in fact i we should just get chris to run a 40 time it and see what he does yeah i don't think you'd tell us the truth though if he ran if he, if he didn't beat orlando brown we're killing him right now we're killing
2: him <laughs> Speaking of 40s and ratings and all of these things, a very important story came out, Simon. Uh, Yes. This this shook the very foundation of the NFL and the Miami Dolphins, and that is the Madden NFL 19 ratings came out this week. And for the first time in 12 years, the Miami Dolphins do not have a player rated 90 or better. So the narrative has now reached video games okay and everybody
1: <laughs> hates it even John Madden hates us
2: <laughs> yes okay uh, these are the ratings so far okay uh, the good news Minka Fitzpatrick second highest rated rookie 78 okay that's the good news nice here's the rest of the bad news Cameron Wake 88 Rashad Jones 88 Josh Sitton, 86 William Hayes 85 they really love William Hayes because he's been an 85 for three consecutive years Danny Amendola, eighty-three; Kenny Stills, eighty-three; Robert Quinn, eighty-one; Kenyon Drake, eighty; Devonte Parker, eighty; Ryan Tannehill, seventy-eight.
1: I mean, how Devonte Parker is rated above Tannehill is absolutely beyond me. It's beyond me. Well, it's some, interesting. Somebody though, that I've knows, got...
2: somebody that knows a lot about how they come up with these ratings, say that they always severely downgrade guys coming off of injuries. And, uh, well,
1: except you say that, but Aaron Rodgers is, is 99 overall, the highest rated player in Madden 19, and he's yes. coming off an injury. Mm-hmm. Who, who are the three highest rated players? There are three players rated 99 overall. Really? Yeah, and Tom Brady isn't one of them.
2: 99? Yeah. Okay, Julio Jones?
1: No, you've got one, Aaron Rodgers. No idea. Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. And Antonio Brown. There you go. Right. Enough about ratings. Although, actually, listen to this.
4: This week on the 5 Reasons Podcast, you joined for a wide-ranging, fun, and funny interview with Udonis Haslam of the Miami Heat.
2: I remember growing up, you know, I used to stay in um, Lake and Sir apartments. Now they call it Crystal Lake. You know, this is in Kara I moved around a little bit, and I remember... Being at the park, and um, you know, I got into it with this little kid, and he punched me in the mouth and ran and knocked my tooth out. And I, I couldn't find him. I was so pissed off I couldn't find him. He ran, he knocked my tooth out and ran. And I went home, and my dad, my tooth was knocked down. He saw me crying, and he told me, if I don't come home, if I don't go outside and find that kid, And kick his ass. If I come home, I'm going to get my ass whooped by him. I looked for that kid for three hours, and when I found him, I kicked his ass.
4: Check out that interview and much more on the 5 Reasons Podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Joseph, and right next to me is Slim. And we run this podcast called The Balls Cast that's right here on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Yeah, man, you should have heard of us by now. Sure, and we're very funny and we're very charming, and we're very talented. So you should listen to us every week. In fact, we have all these kinds of segments like Don't Be an Asshole, where we talk about you shouldn't be an asshole. We have Beans Up Top, where we talk about sex and sexual relationships and how you can be be better at that kind of thing. We also have all kinds of cool guests. We had uh, the president of the Dolphins, what's his name? Tom Garfinkel, asshole. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jesus. We had David Sampson on. We have good guests on this yeah. show, and we're funny, and we have parody songs, and we have skits and sketches. It's great. And we have cool-ass fucking giveaways, man. Yes! Fuck, I we're going to have free wakeboarding sessions. Yeah, some really, away some really cool stuff coming up. Yeah. This promo is probably way too long. Nobody probably. wants to hear it anymore. They've already fast forwarded <laughs> through it. Fuck this shit. Well, then you deserve to win the stuff if you've listened to this long. Seriously, actually, if you can, fi- if you film yourselves listening to this entire promo, we're gonna give you some shit, some free shit. Do sure. it, film it, and and tweet it at us. We'll suck your dicks. No, we won't. I'll suck your dick. Yes, you will. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Rencarlo Navas, and here at Heatbeat we talk all things Miami Heat from the absurd. The last time I saw Dion, I wanna say it was like early March. He was hanging out in the locker room
1: and he looked like he put on a few pounds. <laughs> so I know you guys are all excited about that. <laughs>
4: to the serious. Wayne Ellington in particular was just getting caught on a screen for multiple seconds, and that just that puts so much strain on the rest of the defense. With guests ranging from some guy on Twitter named Kevin to ESPN hosts like George Sedano, we have a little something for everyone and anyone. Check us out every week here at the 5 Reasons Podcast Network, or find us on Twitter at MIAHeapy for all our updates, pods, and videos. I want to introduce you to the newest podcast on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. It is a soccer podcast. It's called Pitch Invasion. My name is Chris Whittingham. I'll be hosting it throughout the World Cup and then we'll continue after the World Cup. But right now, we're focused on the World's Tournament It is 32 teams battling it out for one trophy. I'll be recapping the games basically after every two days' worth of action. So every other day, we'll be putting on a podcast, recapping all the latest action, talking about all the major storylines. We'll get some guests on, and we'll have a great time talking about this World Cup. It's been really fun so far, so you're going to want to check out Pitch Invasion. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Three Yards for Kelly part three of this, uh, I suppose, special episode in that there's only myself, Simon Clancy, and Alf Tiago with us this week. With us? What? That doesn't even sound like but you know what I mean. Because Chris is currently, uh, I, I don't know, uh, if you follow the podcast every week, he's probably at Earth, Wind & Fire concert or he's hanging out with Teddy Prendergast or somebody. Mm-hmm. But we have a special guest in part three, or at least we did. Now let me just tell you a little story because the first half of the program that you've just been listening to, that was recorded last night. Because tonight, right now, we are going to be joined, or at least we were going to be joined, by the former Miami Dolphins quarterback from two thousand and two to two thousand and five, and then three months in twenty eleven, Sage Rosenfels, which would have been great. He was going to co-host for the uh, for part three. Now Sage was going to join us from. The College World Series. So not only was he giving up his time, but and it was pretty noisy at the College World Series, as you'd understand. So we decided to sack it off this week. Well, Sage is gonna come on. So that's the that's the good news. Is it the good news? that could be the bad news. The good news is that you still get Alf and I for the third part of the show, which is gonna be really good because subsequent to us hanging up our uh Skype lines last night, Las Vegas release the odds on head coaches being fired next season. And bizarrely, I mean, literally bizarrely, Adam Gaze is the second favorite, according to Vegas, to be fired out of all 32 coaches. And he's even ahead of Marvin Lewis, who, (laughs) I mean, I find find the whole thing astonishing. Is he ahead of Dave Wonstad? I mean, he may as well be. I mean, he'd be ahead of Cam Cameron at this stage. I mean, this is utterly astonishing. Hugh Jackson is plus 350. Adam Gaze 750. Marvin Lewis, plus 1,000. I mean, he's he Gaze is ahead of Dirk Cutter, who is the worst coach potentially in the history of the NFL. I mean, Dirk yeah. Cutter's a terrible head coach. A terrible head coach. So, I mean, mate, this is... I mean, this has been a running theme for us in the 14 weeks since we started the podcast. Um, but this is almost the tipping point. And then uh, you just mentioned that Walter Football, the the, the draft site, they've released, Walter Cheropinski has released his first mock draft of the season. And guess who he's got picking number one? <laughs> the Dolphins. I mean, this is astonishing. <laughs> I don't believe any of this. It's like there's a whole national narrative just to piss the three of us off because yeah. there is no, I can't There's no concept that the dolphins are going to be close a to firing gaze, and we'll get into why that won't happen. <laughs> May, I mean, maybe we're just seeing everything. I mean, are we seeing? We've asked each other this on the podcast. Are we just seeing stuff through rose tinted glasses about this team?
2: No, or are the they really as crap? It's that, it's that we're here. It's that we're here, and we have an informed opinion because nobody in their right mind. Well, first of all, do you remember the first line on the over/under on wins and losses this year? Where it was at? I can't remember now. Okay, it was it was at five. All wow. Right. I mean, okay, it's ballooned up to six and a half. What that tells you is that there's been so much betting pressure on the over that it's driving the number up, right right to where it probably was last year. I believe it was seven and a half last year. Not that it those things matter my tiny at all. Mind. It does. It really does. It's it's completely insane. But I think that they're getting ahead of themselves because by next week they might have lines on the Dolphins just disbanding the franchise and moving <laughs> to Alaska or something. Because it just gets worse and worse, that's, and for no apparent reason either. That's
1: more likely than Gay's getting fired. Yeah. I mean, I mean that is what, I mean, I've told this story on the podcast before, and I've told this story a million times to you. But I was told by somebody close to Stephen Ross when I wrote an article for the magazine that I write with over here, that Ross believes that he has his modern-day Don Schuler and that this is a long-term project. And no owner... I mean, Christ, how long do we keep Tony Sperano around for? I mean, <laughs> yeah. fist-pump Tony. Fist-pump Tony was around for about 20 years before we finally sacked him off. Yeah. The Gators had his quarterback for, for 11 games, his franchise quarterback for 11 of 32 games, at which he is 16 and 16 during that period. You think that Steve Ross, the man who, you know, flew to California to try and hire Jim Harbaugh but couldn't sack Tony Sperano, is going to sack off the guy that he believes is a is modern day Schuler and b he knows he's had his franchise quarterback for 11 of 32 games? That zero point zero percent chance that's happening. I, I don't. I don't understand the national disrespect. I and mean, it's something that's happened for years, actually, and I've never really paid a lot of attention to it because it's just like oh whatever. I don't know. Maybe we're just maybe we're too close to it. And maybe if we lived in Denver or we followed the <laughs> Bengals, then we'd look at the Dolphins as a comedy team. And God yeah. knows, you know, we've brought a lot of that on ourselves. But none of this makes sense to me. I mean, but have they get... have
2: they, what, Listeners... is the, what is the history here? The history here is Adam Gase. The history yeah. that they know is that he made the playoffs his first year and his second year, his starting quarterback's leg fell off. And they went and they still went six and ten. Now, what was Green Bay? With well, half of an Aaron Rodgers,
1: well, weren't they listen, also
2: like six and ten?
1: So, 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 over the so, Mike McCarthy's won a Super Bowl. Green Bay Packers are a better team than the Dolphins, or at least they were last season. Yes. Okay, we have had Adam. Adam Gase has had Ryan Tannehill for eleven of thirty-two games, as I just said, and we are sixteen and sixteen during that period. Okay, Mike McCarthy, over the same period, having had Aaron Rodgers for twenty-two games, so that's eleven more games than Gaze has had. Taylor he has had the greatest quarterback of all time in my opinion. For 22 of those 32 games and the Packers in the same period of time with which Gaze is 16 and 16 is 17 and 15 and yet Adam Gaze is going to get fired? I mean, come on. This yeah. is absolute horseshit. None of it makes none of it makes sense. None, it makes sense. none and, does that But and does the thing not. is as well, we're sitting here pontificating and going and we're not really throwing down any facts per se beyond what we just said. But because we just find it so utterly, utterly ludicrous, I just don't, and I don't think it's because we're too close to it. Listeners, I can absolutely go. I, I tell you what, I will right now say right here and now, okay? Text us, uh, tweet us in your questions, okay? To either three yards to the three at uh, three yards per carry, okay? Tweet us in your questions between now and next week, and let's say we get five hundred questions. Not only will we answer as many as we can in a sort of a special mailbag next week. But of the 500, I will keep a record of every single person that tweets in over the next seven days. Okay. If Adam Gaze gets fired next season, I will put everybody's Twitter handle into a hat and draw one out. Whoever the one is that that I draw out, I will fly from London (laughs) to your house, wherever you live in the United States of America, and I will cook you dinner and then I'll fly back home again okay I will guarantee it right now that out of my own pocket I will take a flight from London I don't care if you live in if you live in Hackensack New Jersey or, or or the far reaches of Montana I will fly to your house I will go to the local store and buy whatever food you like I will cook that dinner for you I will watch you eat it And then I'll go back to the airport whereupon I shall eat the airport meal, get on a plane and fly back to London. That is my guarantee. That is how certain I am that Adam Gaze will not be fired. And I will be out of pocket for about 700 pounds, which is about nine hundred dollars. And it will be worth it to prove everybody wrong because this is not happening. Total non-story.
2: All right, Simon, I promised you that I was going to try to get Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers on the show, and I did put in calls to George Halas and Vince Lombardi to get their their opinion on Adam Gase, but we got the next best thing. If you want to scream at a guy who's been a national media figure, here he is, Ethan Skolnick of the Five Reasons Network. Ethan?
3: Yes, Uh, I'm not Tom Brady. (laughs) I'm no. not, I, I haven't I haven't won anything in the past 17, 18 years, so that disqualifies me. I'm not married to Giselle. Um, trying to think of other things. I've never deflated a football. Um I've never spoken allegedly. out in support, allegedly. Allegedly, I've never spoken out in support of Donald Trump, clearly. <laughs> so all of these things differentiate me from Tom Brady well, Ethan this podcast mm-hmm. has
2: been a complete bitch fest. We've been sitting here and wondering what the me- the national media has against us because mm-hmm. today it came out that Adam Gase is the second favorite to be fired before the season is over on Bovada, Odd Shark and mm-hmm. now Westgate. So, what do you make of this national narrative that's gone on? And and also Walter Football came out and has the Dolphins with the number 1 pick this coming season.
3: Yeah, it's a little ludicrous and uh, you know Look, I covered the team for years and years, and I was never accused of being the most optimistic person about them, but I think they're getting a total raw deal this offseason. And um, I don't know if I'm quite as sort of optimistic as Simon is, but I don't understand how a team goes 6-10 and 10 without its starting quarterbacks uh, – without its starting quarterback – brings in a guy off the street out of the studio who didn't care about football when he was in his prime um, and bring him in to pay him $10 million, try to get him up to speed with the system. And I understand that he played for Gase before and you still win six games with, with that guy and Matt Moore. And then I guess David fails at the very end. And now people are looking at this team and suddenly saying it's much worse. Why? Because they lost a very productive slot receiver and an excellent defensive tackle who did not affect the rest of the defense enough to justify his salary. I mean, is that what we're talking about here? I mean, that and Lawrence Timmons, who was not productive for them. And now you have a full year of a better running back situation, in my opinion, uh, giving Kenyon Drake a full year after the way he played for the last six games of last season. Your wide receiving core – People can make an argument that it's not better. I don't think you can make an argument that it's demonstrably worse. I mean, it, it provided that Amendola stays reasonably healthy, which is an issue with him, but provided that he's out there, you add another versatile player in Albert Wilson. You're able to go to more multiple formations than you were able to go to before. And look, we talked about this with with both Simon and CK when they were on our podcast that, you know, I just felt Gase was hamstrung the first two years with the type of personnel he had because he couldn't go multiple. He couldn't. He couldn't do two things. He could not uh, he not game plan for the opponent because he did not have the personnel to adjust to the opponent before the game. And then he could not game plan or, or change the game plan inside the game to adjust to what the opponent was doing because he just didn't have enough options. So now you've added a more versatile receiving core overall. You might not throw the ball to Landry every play like you were before on a wide receiver flat and expect him to break two tackles and pick up seven yards. You've added a legitimate talent at tight end, which is not something that they've consistently had over the past few years. I mean, they got pretty good season out of Charles Clay let him walk and then Julius Thomas was cooked by the time he got to Miami so you've already added a a a dynamic athlete at that position and like I said a full season of Drake they added a guy at guard who ranked among the top five guards in the league last year I don't think they've downgraded much at center because I was not big on the way the pouncey played last year anyway and you couldn't trust him to stay healthy so all of that you get your starting quarterback back and now you had a big-time playmaker in the first round who is, to me, a sure thing in Mika Fitzpatrick. Your corners have another year of seasoning, and we finally saw Xavier Howard uh, tur- turn the corner a little bit in the last four or five games of last season. And you can't be any worse at linebacker than you were last year. So, yeah, you've got a hole at defensive tackle. If you're going to have a hole anywhere on your team, I'm okay with that one. They replaced the kicker. But I think when you look at all that, you say, so how do you go from 6-10 and 10 to first pick in the draft particularly when you're in a division where the quarterback situations in buffalo and and new york are a mess and i'm not saying they're going to beat out the patriots but i do think going to the season you can make a legitimate argument that they they they're probably the second best team in that division unless buffalo gets much better quarterback play than we expected so all of that together i I don't know how you say they're going to get the first pick in the draft
1: i've got two legitimate questions for you Uh, the first one is that how important do you think Raekwon McMillan is to the entire team, but also to that? Because we've discussed on the podcast that he might be the most important player on that defense, which is a bold statement for a kid that's never played it down.
3: No, I, I agree. I agree. And a couple things on that. Um, first thing, I, I think people who are worried, like, how is he going to contribute his first time around the team or the first time playing? First thing, he was around the team last year, so I I think that helps. And and I'm going to draw a basketball analogy here because you know we do a lot of NBA on the podcast. I think it helped Ben Simmons tremendously to be around the 76ers for a year even though he wasn't playing. I just think that adjustment to pro lifestyle is huge. And to be able to take care of a lot of those things when you're not playing I think can be really beneficial because I've seen a lot of guys that it's just too much for them – as a rookie, so he's already gotten acclimated to Dolphins culture after one year. He understands what uh, Burke and and Gase are trying to run. I think that's important for him. His teammates, I think, already have begun to trust him uh, because they saw a glimpse of it before he got hurt last year. So he doesn't have to prove anything from the very beginning. And for Dolphin fans who are concerned about it and saying, "Well, how's he going to perform right away?" I mean, let's go back. I know it's been a couple decades here, but. You know, I remember a linebacker who was drafted in the fifth round out of Texas Tech, uh, and Jack Del Rio was supposed to be the starting linebacker, starting middle linebacker in 1996, right? I mean, that was Jimmy Johnson brought him in to lead the defense, and he cut Jack Del Rio at the end of camp to give the job to Zach Thomas because Zach was that far developed mentally and physically and was able to handle it and also go to 1997, there was a defensive end at Akron, right, who played yeah. right away for the Miami Dolphins. There was a cornerback out of Louisville who was drafted in the second round that year, Sam Madison, who played right away. And then you go to the next year, 1998, Pat Sertan, drafted in the second round, didn't start right away because I believe they still had Terrell Buckley at the time. They did, yeah. Pl- pl- yeah. playing with Madison, but they worked Sertan in, and by the end of the year it was pretty clear he was one of their two best corners. So this is not without precedent. I think maybe – Dolphin fans are a little gun shy about it because they've some of the drafting since that time has not been good. So they think of a Jamar Fletcher, right, like coming in and not being ready to play, or a Dion Jordan not being ready to play, or some of those other guys. But this has happened in Dolphin history, and I think if you have the guy who has the intellect to do it, understands the game, has the trust of his teammates, has already acclimated to the system, sort of off the field, uh, doing the doing the film work and that kind of thing, there's no reason he can't be really good right away. And I come back to this, guys: their linebacker play cannot get worse, right? Yeah, like no. I, it's it, it's the same thing as the quarterback situation, like. You're already starting with such a low bar. Like if Raquan McMillan can just have an occasional tackle for a loss, okay, or or cover a damn tight end on occasion, like it's already an upgrade from what they had last season. So Mm -hmm. I'm confident in him and I'm confident in Fitzpatrick. And we have seen guys look at New Orleans last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got four legitimate studs in that draft and that's our old friend Jeff Ireland who had something to do with that mm-hmm. okay they got four legitimate studs in that draft who contributed to a team that had a chance last year again one of those young studs made the wrong play at the end of a playoff game mm-hmm. but but they had a chance uh to get to the NFC championship game and potentially a Super Bowl so you can do that in that league with young players. And I I think the Dolphins, I'm not, look, I'm not saying they're going to win the division. I'm not even saying they're a playoff team, but I I think some of the negativity with this team has gone a little too far.
1: Question two kind of goes back to the first thing that that we talked about earlier on, and that's perception. And it's kind of, yeah, we've been a crappy team over the years, but do you think there is a kind of a general sort of malaise around national media about the Dolphins that they're always kind of, uh, because it feels like we're a little bit downtrodden, nationally that we're kind of an afterthought and uh, you know i'm not american so i don't know but maybe back does the undefeated season the kind of the year after year celebration went to Mm. does that play into do people think that's a bit arrogant and i don't know i'm just trying to think of ideas and reasons beyond just being a very average franchise for the last 15 or so years that there's a slight disdainfulness from members of the national media when it comes to talking about the Dolphins and rating the Dolphins and Dolphins players. Would you agree, given that you've the role that you've had in, in the national media?
3: Yeah, and I, I think there's a bunch of reasons for it, Simon. Um, you know, I started covering – my first season around them was 96. I started covering them full-time in 97. So that was – during jimmy's time and yeah. I, I think during that period of time the dolphins still had a national profile um yeah they, they still had a national profile it was coming off of shula the last couple of years of shula were not great obviously 95 if you remember was the year that was supposed to be great they had something like yeah. 22 first round picks on that team mm-hmm. and That's that right. team that was
1: lewis oliver uh, that was keith jackson and gino uh, uh, All, what's his name? Uh,
3: yeah. Steve you know, Steve there were a ton of those guys and that te- if you remember that team got off to a really fast start mm. and then collapsed down the stretch um, and then you had the end of dan's tenure there and then it became clear dan was never going to win a super bowl and i think some luster was off of him particularly after the injury but yeah. when jimmy was there i think they were considered an elite franchise still uh yeah. at that point and then Jimmy leaves and basically quit on the team in 99. I mean, he was he was day trading and he was playing with Buttercup upstairs. I mean, I covered that team. He was just not into it. They had to bring in Wanstead to basically take over the team. I was at the press conference where they flew Dave in from Naples uh, <laughs> to basically save Jimmy. Like, it was, it was, okay, Jimmy, you can stay. You're not really going to have to coach. Dave's going to coach. Uh, you just sort of be the figurehead here. And I think the transition to Dave... I personally really liked Dave, but Dave didn't have, you know, sort of the national profile that Jimmy had. And the other problem with those teams was that was the long stretch. And Jimmy sort of started this with, you know, we're going to run the ball and Dan's going to have to do check with me and he can't audible and we're not going to throw the ball down the field. And then that continued with Dave. And so I think the problem for the dolphins has been not only have they been mediocre for two decades, but they've been boring and they've Mm -hmm. been, they've, been boring in terms of style of play and they've been boring in terms of personalities. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, cuz I put up a poll on Five Reasons Sports the other day like in the 2000s, who are the, the who's the athlete that you consider to be most Miami in terms of personality, the way they carry themselves and just represent the city. And I put four names on the list, and the only two that I could come up with for the Dolphins were Jason and Zach. I mean, those—if yeah. you go back to to yeah. sort of—you go back 20 years, it's it's Jason and Zach. I mean, Sam and Pat had local profiles, but and it's Ricky really- for that one year. So Ricky say Ricky, yeah. Ricky for the one year yeah for 2002 he had the, he had it and then obviously 2003 and then he bolted for a tent in 2004 and and when he came back it wasn't the same but but yes Ricky did but really it was it was those two guys and I put them on a poll with with Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam and those two guys got almost no votes um and it was and you know both of those guys are better players than Udonis Haslam in their respective mm. sports, right? I mean Jason's a first-ballot Hall of Famer, and we could have a long conversation about, to me, Zach's getting jobbed uh, mm. by not even being considered for the Hall of Fame when his numbers are better than Urlacher's. But that's a whole nother story. But that, see, to me, that's the issue. You're going back almost 20 years. You've got two guys uh, who've sort of been the faces of the franchise then – and those guys don't rate nationally, Jason a little bit, but not as much Zach. Those guys don't rate nationally compared to about six guys that the Heat alone have had in this town. OK, LeBron, Dwayne, uh, Shaq. Uh, I mean, yeah. just go go down the list. Chris Bosh. Right. I mean, they, they've had a number of those kind of guys. And so I think it's been a combination of, of style of play, uh, being sort of consistently mediocre, not having big time personalities. And Simon, this is also something because from covering the Dolphins for years, They created a little of this. Um, They were they were not media friendly for a long time. And 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 part of it with Dave, they were kind of. uh, And then Nick came in. And the first thing he did was the first thing he did was paint over. The newspaper spots in the parking lot. So there used to be like a Sunset, Sentinel, a Herald and a Palm Beach Post. The first thing Nick did was that he alienated the media from the very beginning. They tightened everything up. Then they had a year of Cameron where it loosened up a little bit, but the team was terrible. And then Parcells came in and basically doubled down on everything that Nick did. So there was a there was a stage there. For about six or seven years where you had on, on one hand, you had the Heat, which was becoming a national international sensation. First with Shaq in 2004 and then Dwayne and then LeBron and Bosh and the championships yeah. and the Heatles. And at the same time, you had the the Dolphins becoming very insulated, like not letting their guys talk to the media, not promoting their personalities, um, not giving out any information. Whereas you had LeBron James, on the other hand, talking twice a day to the media and he's in, in you know, he may be the biggest star stop, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think Simon when you add all of that and then you mentioned the seventy two thing, unbelievable respect for what those guys accomplished. Yeah. But I but I wrote this repeatedly during that period of time. It's like every time that the Dolphins were failing again, let's bring out the guys from 72. Yeah. And, and 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 at a certain point, I mean, I was born in seventy-three, Simon. Like I'm forty-five mm-hmm. years old. And yeah. and I was I was not alive. I was I was born a month after they won the Super Bowl in seventy three. So I wasn't even alive. So you're expecting, particularly in this town, right, mm. you're expecting people in their 20s and 30s to care about what the 72, yeah. 73 Dolphins seem. Most of those people didn't even see Marino, OK, yeah. like or Marino in his prime, because if you got to go back to 84, guys, like that's already we're already taught. I mean, Marino's huge, huge season. You've got to go back 34 years at this point. Yeah. So if you're if you're in your 30s, you have no recollection. Of that. And so I think it's happened locally because what I always noticed from hosting a radio show is that the Heat fans were younger and more diverse, and the Dolphin fans tended to be older and less diverse. And a lot of that is because young fans down here have not known winning or excitement. With the Dolphins, and so they gravitated towards what's cool, and what's cool has been the Heat. So I do think there's an opportunity for the Dolphins. I think Ross said it inelegantly a couple years ago um, because I don't think he should be comparing himself to the Heat at all in terms of recent success. But I do think there's an opportunity for the Dolphins because I do think the Heat – have sort of put themselves in a no win and Alfredo and I could do this on another podcast where he's going to argue with me uh, because I know his feelings on this, but I think the heat have put themselves in a very difficult position with the contracts they've signed. And I think there's a chance they're going to be mediocre or just slightly above mediocre for a while. And so if the dolphins could build excitement around a young core of guys like Drake and grant and Fitzpatrick and Gasicki and McMillan um, and Howard and Tankersley, i mean there are enough names there uh, and God forbid, Devontae Parker, Um, you know, I think there are enough names there that I think they could build something. But I think it's a combination of all those factors.
2: What bothers me is that the recent history, in my opinion, it starts with the new coach that was hired. And all we know about Adam Gase is two seasons. And the one season that he first came in here in 2016, he got the best year out of Ryan Tannehill. The team was actually exciting because they were number three in total a uh, big plays that year behind Buffalo and Dallas and they made the playoffs. Then mm-hmm. he loses his quarterback and they go six and 10. I think their biggest improvement is just going to be that quarterback position. If you just take Ryan Tannehill's 2016 and you transpose it to Jay Cutler's 2017, they're going to be a plus 16. If Ryan Tannehill just repeats his 2016 this year, they're going to be plus 16 in quarterback rating differential. That is mm-hmm. worth four wins on average mm-hmm. in the NFL. Now, I'm not going to say that six and 10 automatically turns into 10 and six, but four wins is a large number. And I don't think people are giving Ryan Tannehill the credit he deserves for being so much better than Jay Cutler. And what a large improvement just having him is going to be this year. But like I I said, the the narrative has taken hold. And that's the one that really bothers me. Uh, I argue all the time that Ryan Tannehill is average. That he's the top 15 quarterback and I actually get people screaming at me on Twitter that I'm crazy so what do you make of I would say it's the hatred that Ryan Tannehill has maybe earned but I don't I don't
3: see that he's earned it but what do you make of that Ethan well it's what I said earlier I don't think people are accounting for the improvement in quarterback play and you don't like you said, you don't have to love Ryan Tannehill to understand that it will be better. <laughs> I mean, it, it it can't be a whole lot worse. I mean, if you just go back and look at throws that Cutler missed that could have changed games, you figure if Tannehill hits a third of those throws – it's a couple more wins. And so, I mean, look at how excited everybody got when, I can't remember the game now, but the, the game that Matt Moore led the comeback uh, at, at in, in the second, was just, they just got like a half of court, competent quarterback play and everybody was like, oh my God, look at what that looks like. But we all know that Matt Moore had trouble sustaining that and was going to have trouble sustaining mm-hmm. that. He could do it in flashes, but if, you, if a team had a week to game plan for him, it was probably not going to go that well. Is this the
1: Marino effect though, Ethan? Is it is it the fact that the fans... And the team have been spoiled for so long that nobody's ever going to until somebody can live up to him until we get the next genuine NFL superstar quarterback, the next genuine Hall of Famer to play under center for the Dolphins, that nobody's ever going to quite match up because the specter of and the shadow of Marino looms so large over the position that no matter what the quarterback does, and no matter who it is, they're never going to quite live up to what 13 did. And therefore that's going to skew people's view of the, the identity of the quarterback.
3: But Simon, shouldn't that be over with at this point? And because the well, point I, I made no, well, so well, well, but the point I made earlier is it's been nineteen years since he played for the Dolphins, right? I mean, ninety nine. He was a shell of himself. I covered the last three years. I mean yeah. we, mm-hmm. in, in in I mean, not just sixty two seven, which everybody remembers, but go back to the playoff game in New England in ninety seven where yeah. the Patriots linebackers were pointing to where he was going to throw, okay, before yeah. he threw. You know, he came back from the Achilles injury, he had moments he he did, and I give him great credit for that because it, the inability to move and still to be as effective as he was was incredible. Particularly when he did not have a running game most of those years, and he didn't have a defense until Zach and Jason showed up at the very end. But I, I, look, I, you know, the idea that that he was—I mean, it's been a long time since Dan Marino was great, and like I said, most young fans have no recollection of him being great. They weren't even alive, so. Those young fans, you would think, have lived through. I mean, I don't. Can I do the whole list off the top of my head? I mean, I, I was, <laughs> I was personally a, a, a Jay Feeler admirer, just as a per, human being. Um, so I, I'm a little biased on Jay, and I, I also, uh, you know, I also know what the veteran guys on that team thought about him. Where every time mm-hmm. somebody tried to replace him, Jason and Zach would go into Dave's office, like when AJ Feely showed up, and D- Jason and Zach would go into Dave's office and say, "No, okay." We trust Jay. Play Jay. Okay. That happened repeatedly during Jay's time. So I have a little bit of a biased, positive view of Jay. So let's put Jay to the side. Okay. AJ Feely, Cleo Lemon, Joey Harrington, broken Dante Culpepper, John Beck, broken Trent Green. Um, Chad Henney, disappointing. One really effective I mean, remember how excited everybody was, and I covered this team. I was with yeah. them at the Meadowlands in two thousand eight when he beat Brett Favre. Think mm. of how excited everybody was about Chad Pennington just yeah. not fucking up, if I can say that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Like like I mean they, they led he the finish they he finished second in MVP voting and, that MVP year. MVP voting, and, and they they set a record, I think, for fewest giveaways uh, of any team ever. Right? It was like something like seven giveaways the whole season. It was some crazy number. And so they won eleven games, and they won the division basically because Matt Castle filled in for Tom Brady that year, kind of like I'm filling in for Tom Brady on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but but, uh, don't,
1: but yeah, don't I, call I, him Tom Brady. That will go to his head.
3: I, I that's that's exactly right. Um. Yeah. I, yeah. Ck's. When he listens to this, he'll he'll certainly uh, he'll 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 <laughs> be, certainly relate to that. To be fair,
1: to be fair, we absolutely ruined him in the first part of the show, so this is probably <laughs> make up time. <laughs>
3: good, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, so look, I, and I didn't even get to all the names there. I mean, there there were others. I mean, remember the six games of Ray Lucas, right? The two and four, yeah. six yeah. turnovers at home against Buffalo, and I really like Ray personally, but that was a that was a complete uh, disaster. And I haven't, you know, I haven't even gotten. Uh, To all names. Remember Tyler Thigpen. That's another one. I mean, these are the these are the quarterbacks that the Dolphins trotted out there all those years. I mean, they even tried Pat White. Okay, And so so the idea that you look, I'm not a huge Tannehill backer. There are things about him, particularly instincts. Most of the things with Tannehill for me are not stat related there. And I, I tend to be more of a stat person than a sort of eyesight person on this stuff. But with me, it is more of an eye test thing with him. It's does it's more like, okay, does he feel the pressure coming in in the pocket? Does he does he slide at the right time? Does he does he find does he go to the right receiver at the right time or does he check down too early and give up on a play? Like that's that's the stuff with me that bugs me about him a little bit. But but he's competent like they have not had competence at the position for most of the past 18 years i mean A.J. philly kept hurting his ass remember like he kept <laughs> right? okay i i i was at the game i now was it pittsburgh or philadelphia i think it was philly It was one of the pennsylvania cities where john beck got the start in the rain it was philly it was it philly, was philly. 100%, and, and he, yeah and and he could not take the snap from center he was scared no to death and I come back to Ray Lucas I mean six turnovers against Buffalo in a home game like think of all the incompetence that they've had at the position I think it rivals honestly the Browns incompetence over the past 20 years
1: I've got two questions for you one is kind of almost pretty and it's for both of you really I suppose one is a a yes or no pretty much a yes or no answer do you think that if Nick Saban had chosen the right quarterback i.e. Drew Brees over Dante Culpepper that the Dolphins would have won a Super Bowl in that period
2: i think he would and the reason i would say that he would is because of all of the front office talent that he was gonna he was gonna attract at the time that was gonna help him build the team to win that super bowl here
3: here's why i say no and and i understand that the quarterback played into it big time um his wife also played into it big time she did not like it here um that was kind of well known during that period of time um but but here's the reason i i I think if he'd gotten the right quarterback he would have stayed longer um and obviously, not having the quarterback in Belichick's division when he had Brady, I think Saban didn't want to embarrass himself year after year. Um, you know, they had the nine and seven season. They were three and seven in his first year, and then they won the last six, and they were kind of rolling. And then the next year, I, if you remember. Uh, Sports Illustrated put them on the cover with Dante mm-hmm. Culpep saying that they were Super Bowl favorites, and then that team yeah, sure. was just a disaster from the start, and Nick lost interest in it, and then Alabama called, and he was out. But the reason I, I don't know if he would have won, I, I just don't think Nick had the temperament for it. I Nick was used to controlling everything and being mm. a god. And so when he was in East Lansing or he was in Baton Rouge, you know, college media is different from pro media. And I'm not saying that us Miami media are New York or Boston or Philadelphia we clear or Chicago. We clearly are not. OK, we are not. It's it's more of a I would say if you say it's more of a cheerleading media or a harsh media, it's more cheerleading than it is harsh. But it's it's harsher than college towns. I can tell you that. OK, and because what you have in a lot of college towns is you have sort of the young you know, college reporter who's trying to get in the business, but has an allegiance to the team they're covering. So they're never going to get too hard on it. Or you have sort of the older gentleman who's been there forever is the historian knows everything. That person is probably not going to take him on. So when Nick came to Miami, there were a few things that he was not used to. One was that the media was going to be confrontational with him at times. he never adjusted to it. It bothered him. I can speak to a couple situations personally where I was called into his office after stories where he tried to sort of make nice when I didn't even understand why he was bothering me because one of those times I thought he was already going to Alabama, and he apologized for MFing me in a bar. And, and I was like, <laughs> OK, I was like, OK, maybe he's actually staying because why does he care about me? I was the number two columnist at the Sentinel at the time, and I was like, OK, why does he care about me? Uh, but then he ended up leaving anyway. But um, but the bigger thing the – the two things bigger things than the media because sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. The, the two bigger things than the media were a, he couldn't pick the players. It's not like college, It's not like college where you recruit who you want. Maybe you give them a little something on the table. Who knows? Uh, but you recruit who you want and you have a pipeline and you go get the exact player you want. If you're Alabama, you get the exact player you want for your system, uh, for your culture and ability level. And so he can do that at Alabama in Miami, he's stuck waiting for Jason Allen to drop to him. Okay. And then try to figure out what to do with Jason Allen. Like he can't get the player he wants. And, in 2005, that draft was telling to me, and I wrote about it after the draft, and Nick got upset about this column. But I wrote, if you look at the 2005 draft, he only drafted guys he played who played for him or he played, played against.
2: For
3: him, yeah. Well, Ethan, tell us all what went on in the network. Well, you guys are, uh, you guys are clearly a huge part of it because uh, you guys have taken off here from the beginning. So we started from with one, which was the Five Reasons uh, flagship. It's myself and Chris Whittingham. We used to host a show in uh, Miami together uh, for a couple of years. And, you know, what we do on our pod is basically a combination of analysis and nostalgia. So we try to mix that up a little bit. When there's something in the news, we hit it. Uh, we hit things pretty quickly. When it's nostalgia, we give guys an hour. We just did an episode with Adonis Haslam. We're going to probably do one with Dwayne Wade before the end of the summer. I'm working on that. Um, and so, you know, that's we're trying to sort of cater to the Miami sports fan that way and, and give them a little bit of everything in, in a 45-minute chunk. Um, then, obviously, we, we added you guys, um, and like I said, you guys are off to a great start. I, I There are you know that's obviously a crowded space. There's a lot of interest in the Dolphins. There's other, you know, there's good Dolphins podcasts, but I think you guys have something really unique because um, the three you look at things differently, and and you have sources in the organization, and and you've covered games, and so I think uh, that makes for a really kind of unique experience. We we brought on Miami Heat beat. Um, it's ten guys. It's kind of the voice of the Miami Heat fan. Uh, gets a little crazy sometimes. Uh, they're they're kind of the pulse of Miami Heat Twitter. That's what they call themselves. They've been going for a while but we brought them into the network we thought they were a really good fit with us we've got balls cast which uh i don't even know how to describe that alfredo uh, it's i mean it's uh it's uh i mean it's it's slim and it's chris joseph and it's adam Smoot, and uh, it's miami sports and pol- and culture and politics and sex and movies and music and and all that kind of stuff and and it's just very miami i mean it's i mean if you're pissed off about miami traffic they'll talk about it if pissed off about Miami drivers they'll talk about that and, uh, you, and Slim's if, Amazon Prime account and and Slim's Amazon Prime account and and you know and Pornhub and all that I mean it's all it's 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 all there um, and then we added Pitch Invasion which I know Simon has appeared on uh, that's Chris Whittingham my co-host uh, he's uh, he's pr- you know becoming pretty prominent in the soccer world he, he does play by play for Univision and be in sports and and so uh, Chris is is going three times a week during the World Cup and so, obviously, in South Florida, we think that's a big deal. We're adding four more. Uh, you guys had OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitan. They're they're spearheading the Fish Tank. I can tell you, 90 minutes with Channing Crowder, an hour with Zach Thomas, and an hour with Rhonda Gadsden. And so, nice. they're gonna yeah. they're they're gonna be releasing those episodes. Um, they're trying to get Pat and Sam to come in together, but that's story time. Uh, it's not a barbershop concept because if we say that LeBron will sue us, but I, it's it's uh, it's. It, it's it's that kind of thing. Uh, we're gonna have a wrestling pod with Mr. Bill and with Josh Appel because those pods are very popular because the mainstream media doesn't cover it. And we've got uh, we've got two more coming. A fantasy football one, which we announced today with David Ganos and Gary and Thorne and Uh, University of Miami football pod Um, haven't announced the person who's running it yet, but it's somebody who's connected with the program. So we've got all of those. We've got a couple more. So our whole idea guys is we want to, we want to provide content to listeners on their schedule when they want to download it. It's not just sort of, you know, potluck when you turn on the radio or read a newspaper like this is exactly what you want when you want it. The teams that Miami sports fans care about the sports uh, that they care about. And so uh, so we think it's pretty unique. And, and so check us out at Five Reason Sports. That's the number five, Five Reason Sports. And obviously check these guys out at Three Yards Per Carry.
2: All right, guys. Well, we do encourage you to listen to all of the podcasts on the Five Reason Sports Network. Talk to you guys next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Carry.
2: You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.